Welcome, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here today. We're continuing a series of messages called Discovering the Real Jesus. And as we look into the gospel according to Mark, it's one of the oldest gospels. It is written by John Mark, John being his uh, Jewish name, Mark uh, being his uh, Roman name, and uh, he is coming and uh, he uh, is sharing with us the story and the good news of Jesus Christ. Mark begins his gospel saying he is the Son of God. This is a gospel that is influenced by its good tidings, its great news about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and the hope that he brings to all of us. It's written by John Mark, who uh, was discipled by Peter and Barnabas and others, written from Rome, written for primarily Gentile and Roman uh, believers, and uh, it is sharing us the, with us the message that the early apostles preached. And it's telling us all about the life of Jesus. And today, there's many misinformation, many foreign ideas. There's many myths about who Jesus is. But when we look into God's Word, we find the real Jesus and what He was like and what He came to do. He's declared the Son of God. He demonstrates that He's the Son of God. And Jesus' own preaching is about God's great love for us and the gospel. And that's what we're looking at today. Look with me, if you will, in your copy of God's Word to Mark's gospel, chapter number 1, beginning with verse number 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In chapter number 1, verse 21, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Chapter number 1, beginning with verse number 35. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. We look at the preaching of Jesus and the teaching ministry of Jesus. And uh, today we learn some lessons about this real Jesus. Preaching or proclaiming is telling those who don't know the good news the good news. Jesus is a herald of this good news. Paul said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Jesus is proclaiming and preaching. Jesus came proclaiming good news and proclaiming the gospel. And it was a priority of his message. In verse number 14, it says, after John was addressed, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the, good, the gospel of God. 
He's proclaiming the good news. John's arrested, John the Baptist, and Jesus is launching his ministry, and he comes into Galilee. It's a fulfillment of Old Testament scripture, and he's proclaiming, preaching, heralding the good news, and he's letting everyone know that it's a message not just about God, but from God. And this is the message that he's preaching. He's preaching that God loves us. Understand this. Tell your neighbor right now, God loves you. He's proclaiming that, that God loves us. Secondly, that he is with us. Tell your neighbor, he is with us. That he's for us. Tell your neighbor, he's for us. Number four, he forgives us. Now that's good news, isn't it? I mean, this is the good news. He loves you. That's amazing. He's with you. He's for you. And he forgives you. Woo, hallelujah. I need to know that the God of eternity loves me, knows me, forgives me, has a plan and purpose for my life. This was his mission. It was his purpose. In verse number 38, he said, let us go to neighboring villages that I may preach there too. For this is why I came. Jesus came with a purpose. And that's to proclaim the gospel. If you look with me to Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, which is a sister gospel that uh, talks about the proclamation of Jesus And uh, listen to how Matthew describes it in verse number 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people so that his fame spread throughout all Syria. So even up north of Dan, in toward Damascus, The fame of Jesus was spread, and people from there began to migrate and come to Galilee to hear the gospel. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee. By the way, Galilee is about 40 miles from north to south. It's about 25 miles east to west. Those of you, some of you have been with me to Israel. We've spent extensive time in the Galilee. It's beautiful all the way up from Caesarea Philippi, near Mount Hermon, to the Judean hills. It is in this vast, rich land that people came from all of these villages. But not only there, it says from the Decapolis. It says great crowds followed him from Galilee. The Decapolis. Deca means ten, right? Polis cities, 10 cities, 10 significant cities in that region, some on on the west side of the Jordan and some on the east side of the Jordan. 
and people came from that whole region and from Jerusalem up in the hills and, and even from Judea and beyond the Jordan, Transjordan. They were coming to Jesus and bringing their friends. This is the good news from God, that God has arrived, that there's hope for all people, that you're not forgotten, and that God loves you, and there's hope in this broken world. That's the real Jesus. It's a fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning with verse 12, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Now listen, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light, those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death. On them light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What good news. This was the, the priority of Jesus' life and ministry, to proclaim hope and salvation. Folks, I want you to understand what Mark's telling us here. Jesus came to Galilee to preach, and they brought him from all over the region. And who did they bring to him? Not the elite class, not the religious class, not the educated class, but not, the, not, the, uh, not the, those who thought they were entitled. But Jesus didn't come to kingly families. Jesus came to the hopeless and the broken and the lost and poor people and working class people and people whose lives were messed up. And they brought them to Jesus and Jesus changed the life. That's what I'm so excited about the gospel. Because I don't know how messed up your life is. Jesus Christ can change your life. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Tell your neighbor he loves messed up people. Don't linger there. Aren't you glad? This is good news. But what was the content? This is the priority of this message. What is the content of his preaching? Notice in verse number 15, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of from God, of God, about God. God's message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what is the message? First of all, he says the time is fulfilled. He doesn't use the word chronos for time. Or we get chronology. No. That's a good Greek word. It's found in the scripture, but that's not the word that he uses here. Kronos has to do with the hour of the day, the clock, the calendar. No, that's not the word that he uses. He uses the word kairos. And the word kairos means a special appointed moment in time. And he said, the time is fulfilled. 
this special moment of God. Old Testament prophecies are come together. And at this moment, heaven is broken into earth. For redemption, the time has arrived. God's great plan for his people has come. The time of waiting is over. And hope has borne the day. God is breaking into history. Amen? This is the good news. The time has come. It says that Jesus preached in all of the synagogues of Galilee. And Luke gives us a story of how that happened at the very beginning of his ministry. In chapter number 4, if you have your Bible, look with me. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 4, beginning with verse number 16. He is in Nazareth, his hometown. And listen to what he has to say in, in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now listen. So here he is in the synagogue in his hometown. They ask him to read. He reads. He picks out the text from Isaiah. And then I want to know what he said. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant in the synagogue. And he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, listen, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now is the time. Today it's fulfilled in your hearing. And all who spoke well of him marveled at the gracious words coming from his mouth. They said, isn't this Joseph's son? And some couldn't believe it, and some didn't accept it. But God, he, Jesus was announcing that it is fulfilled. He said the time is fulfilled. It is, Paul said, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might become, uh, the, the, we might receive Adoption as sons. Hallelujah. The second thing in Jesus' preaching is not only that the time is fulfilled, the second thing that he preaches is that the kingdom's here. He said the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom has come near. You see, understand, we've got a new king in town. That's what Jesus said. And scripture has been fulfilled. The king is here to rule. The king is here to rule. The one who spoke this world into existence now has taken upon flesh and lives among us. And he's declaring, I've come to rule and to reign. 
That's pretty important. Really, unbelievable. The sovereign rule over the kingdom of men. It's at hand. In the Old Testament, there was a theocracy, meaning that God ruled his people. God led his people. But the people of Israel began to look and said, we want a king like the other nations have kings. And so they began to clamor that they want a king. And God said, you are rejecting me, and you want a man to be over you. And he allowed them to make Saul to be their king. But God said, there'll be a day when I will send one in the limit lineage of David a man after mine own heart. And in that lineage of David will come a Messiah. And that Messiah will be God, me, myself. And I will rule and reign over my people again and reestablish a theocracy. And Jesus is saying, God is showing up today and he's king and no longer a man the king. That's a mighty declaration, isn't it? That's the real Jesus. Wow. He's saying, I've come. Now to rule and to reign in man's hearts. And you say, well, Brother Tim, why is there still all the violence and hatred and, and bigotry and sinfulness in this world? The rule of God begins and reign, it begins in the heart of men who trust and believe in Jesus. But don't get me wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand this. It's the beginning of his rule and reign. And it begins in our hearts when we surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord. But there's coming a day when the one who ascended is seated at the right hand of the Father until all of his enemies be made his footstool. And at the command of God himself, Jesus will rise again and come for all of us. And the heavens will split open and Christ will rule and reign. And all of his enemies defeated. Hallelujah. That day is coming. And it began on this day. (laughs) Isn't that good? And so it calls for response. Such a declaration. You can't just have some blase response. So ho-hum, so what kind of response. This new king's come. And it calls for submission. It calls for repentance. It calls for trust and loyalty to him. So that's why Jesus' sermon continues. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance, what is it? Repentance is a change of attitude about sin, about your life about priority. Repentance is not just a change of attitude. It's a change in behavior. It's a change in direction. It's about face. You're going one way, and about face you turn, and you're going another way. It's a 180-degree turn. It's a U-turn in your life, going the different direction in your life. It's repentance from sin... And repentance toward God. You see, you re- when you repent, you repent from something, 
and you repent to someone. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Therefore, repent and turn back to God, that your sins may be wiped out, and seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who's been appointed for you, as Messiah. That's what Peter preached in the early church. Repentance is born out of godly sorrow. If there's no brokenness about your sin and sorrowfulness, you most likely will not repent. Godly sorrow brings true repentance, Paul said. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse number 10, says, For godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief, only death. You see, there's two types of sorrow. Worldly, pride-based sorrow. You're sorrowful for the situation. You're sorrowful about the circumstance. You're sorrowful that your life's a wreck. You're sorrowful, but it's other people's fault. You're sorrowful, but you're a victim. You're sorrowful, but it's a worldly perspective. Pride-based. But there's another kind of sorrow in grief. That's spirit-led. And the Spirit of God convicts you and there's a brokenness about your sin and a sorrowfulness about your life and how you've offended a holy God. And that leads you to repentance. A brokenness. Repentance Proves your salvation. If you say that you have salvation, but there's no repentance in your life, it's not real. Amen. It's a work of God in your life. His spirit in your life. His conviction in your life. It's God's work. It's a work of grace in your life that leads you to repent. Why do men resist and women resist repenting? Number one, because of arrogance in our hearts. Has anybody noticed that we live in a pretty arrogant society? How dare anybody tell me that I need to change? It's that stubborn refusal of authority. The other reason is we don't repent because we don't take sin seriously. Let me tell you what, God takes your sin seriously. He takes your sin so seriously that he sent his son to die for your sins. That's how much love he has for you because the wages of sin is death and he sent his only son to die your death so that you might have life. And if God takes your sin seriously, you should take your sin seriously. And if you don't, God is. Sin is lethal. Sin is deadly. Don't dismiss it. We have a shallow view of God. A shallow view of His holiness. A shallow view of His majesty. A shallow view of of his justice. 
and his judgment. We all want a weak and anemic God that's just a benevolent, old, forgetful grandfather type. That's not God. In the Book of Common Prayer, there's a general confession of sin. And one person satirized it with the thinking of today's thought about sin and listen to how that prayer is changed. This is satirical. It's making fun of the way that we are. And here's the prayer. Benevolent and easygoing Father, we have occasionally been guilty of errors of judgment. We've lived under the deprivations of heredity and the disadvantages of environment, and we've sometimes failed to act in accordance with common sense, and we've done the best we could in the circumstances, and we've been careful not to ignore the common standards of decency, and we're glad to think that we're fairly normal. Do thou, O Lord, deal lightly with our infrequent lapses, and by thine own sweet self, with those who admit they are not perfect, according to the unlimited tolerances which we have a right to expect from thee, and grant us as, indulge, as an indulgent parent that we may hereafter continue to live a harmless and happy life and keep our self-respect. That's the thinking. But that's not the prayer of repentance. Amen? We have a shallow view of God's shallow view of repentance. We don't take sin seriously. And that's the problem that we're in. The content of his preaching was to trust in God. Not only repent of sin, but trust in God. Believe the good news. The good news is from God. Is God's word true and reliable? It is. And he says the gospel is good news. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're told that for, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, my friends, you can't earn your way to heaven. You cannot be good enough to go to heaven. You can't, you can't deserve heaven. Heaven is, is based on the accomplished work of Jesus Christ alone. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. That's our only hope. You can't deserve it, earn it, work for it. It's free grace. Free. Yeah, but how much does it cost? It's free. 
And that repenting is the work of God in you, the grace of God in you. It calls for a response in you, but that response is repentance and faith and trust in God, but it's a work of grace and not your earning it. Woo! Hallelujah. This is the preaching of Jesus. It's different than the scribes and Pharisees. When I was a pastor in a first church, I served. There was a young man named Ricky. Ricky was an alcoholic. He was a carouser, uh, unfaithful to his wife, disloyal. He was lazy. He was... He worked at a coal mine, but he didn't go half the time. He was a drunk. He was a brawler and a fighter. But he came to trust Jesus Christ as his Savior. But he continued to have lapses, drinking bouts and acting out and He was acting out of low understanding of who he was. He didn't fully accept the grace of God. He didn't fully believe it in his life. And I spent hours talking with him and praying and reading Scripture. And I assigned to him some text of Scripture to talk about the grace of God and our adoption as sons and the accomplished work of Jesus Christ and his blood shed for us. And I'll never forget, he called me one day. He said, Tim, can I meet with you? He says, and he just wept and he wept and he said, I finally get it. His blood has covered all of my sin. He said, I don't have to earn it. I don't have to live the way, he says, in rebellion. I don't want to live out of my hurt. I don't want to have to live because I was abandoned my father by my father. I don't have to live that way. I'm now his son. Is it true? I said, it's true. And he said, then I can live free. As far as I know, he never had another drink in his life. God changed him. That's what God's grace will do. This was the preaching of Jesus. The manner of Jesus' message. In verse, chapter 1, verse 22. Listen to what it says. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The scribes quoted Rabbi so-and-so. The scribes quoted other Hebrew texts and teaching. The scribes quoted commentary on the Old Testament law. The scribes consulted with one another. The scribes spoke out of opinion. Jesus spoke out of authority. He had a story. He spoke the truth in love. He interpreted the law. And he was speaking the truth in, uh, truth powerfully. That was Jesus' teaching. The manner that he taught was one with authority. I thank God that we don't have a gospel that's just a hope-so gospel. We have a no-so gospel and that we can preach the gospel with authority. Amen? It was also a liberating gospel. It set people free. 
it was, notice in verse number 27, it says, and they were amazed and questioned among themselves, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. His preaching was liberating. Amen? Come tell, you, tell your neighbor, the gospel will set you free. It has set you free. Amen. It has set you free from addiction. It has set you free from despair. It has set you free from depression. It will set you free from disappointment and hurt. It will set you free from hopelessness. It will set you free from shame. It will set you free from grief. It will set you free from guilt. It will set you free from anger. It will set you free from the betrayal of your past. I'm telling you, the gospel of Jesus Christ will change your life, wash the slate clean, and give you a brand new life. He will set you free. All those demonic voices in your head, in your heart, he will set you free. The king is victorious. Wow. Even the demons had to be subject to his name. Wow. That's a different kind of preaching right there. Verse number 39. Mark chapter 1, verse 39. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons, liberating, and loving. His message was that God loves you, and he'll set you free. Boy, is that the message that needs to be trumpeted in our community? That God loves you, and he and he alone will set you free. That's the real Jesus. Amen? Father in heaven, I thank you for the power and the truth of your word. And I pray that today we would respond in faith, repentance, and obedience. Father, I pray that today it would be genuine real response to the greatest news in all the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. This last song is a song of reflection. It's a song of invitation. It's a song to contemplate your response to God today. There are folks that would be well, here to pray with you. And they'll be available after the service immediately to pray with you. But you let God have his way. Your heart, right now, pray where you are as we sing.